The In-Depth Podcast with Richard Harding. Welcome to Myland FM's brand new podcast, In-Depth. I'm Richard Harding and I'm meeting the people whose decisions affect all of our lives. Somebody who's been very much in the news and continues to be in the news is my first guest, the President of Education, Sport and Culture, Deputy Matt Fallows. Welcome along to this podcast. Hello, Richard. And a pioneer. <laughs> yeah, I think these are a great opportunity, I think, for um, for you to, uh, you know, get extract more detail about what's happening in the States and, um, and, and good luck with them. Now... Firstly, can you set out in simple terms the the changes you're going to be making to the existing education system subject to state's approval? You're you're bringing the policy letter uh, next week. And uh, what what are the changes in simple terms? Yeah, well, this is um, a a stage in a process of change, which really was started by the states um, three and a half years ago when the the previous uh, assembly voted to remove selection at 11 with effect from September 2019. So uh, remove the 11 plus and um, in the future for, for students to be admitted to secondary schools, uh, essentially on, on uh, uh, the basis of where they live or as we have developed it now, according to the primary school they attend rather than through uh, the 11 plus or any similar sort of selective process. And then that decision was revisited by the current states early in its term at the end of 2016. And that decision to remove selection at 11 was confirmed. And then in January 2018, there was a debate about the the future structure of a non-selective system. Um, uh, I and some colleagues put forward uh, a proposal, what was then known um, as the two school model, uh, which essentially consists of uh, two 11 to 18 colleges operating as a single school and um, a united uh, institute um, for further and higher education, bringing together the existing College of FE the GTA University Centre and the Institute for Health and Social Care Studies. And that was approved by the states. Um, We were elected as the Committee uh, for Education, Sport and Culture a few weeks later to uh, lead the implementation of those plans. Um, And uh, the debate in the states next week uh, is seeking the approval for the capital investment that's necessary, um, in particular, to extend the, uh, the 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 two secondary sites we have selected St Sampson's and Le Bocon, uh, and to um, build a new uh, purpose built Guernsey Institute, which is the facility for further and higher education. Are, are there any changes to the primary school sector? Yeah, so the, the policy letter also includes a proposal to uh, redevelop Lamar de Cartray Primary School. Um, now, the, the, the reason that we have included that in the proposals is because um, obviously we're proposing a very substantial programme of capital investment. And it makes sense that all the major capital investment that needs to be undertaken in the next few years is run as part of that programme. Um, before we put the, that proposal in the policy letter, we satisfied ourselves that under all eventualities, it would be necessary to have a primary school at Lamar de Cartre. Um, and we did satisfy ourselves at that. We looked at other options about whether um, children in that catchment area could be distributed amongst other primary schools, whether other primary schools could be extended, whether there were better places to build a new primary school. But uh, it's very clear uh, that we need a primary school at Lamar de Cartre. Um, That is a proposal that has gone to the States, I think, at least three or 
four times, I think. And so successive committees going back quite a long way have been of the same view that we need to maintain a primary school mm-hmm. at Lamar de So we hope the states will, will, will back that uh, part of the proposal as well. So uh, how much is it going to cost us, the, the taxpayer? The extension to the two uh, secondary schools to create the 11 to 18 colleges will cost um, a maximum of £69 million. The um, development of, of the purpose-built facilities for further and higher education at Liz Osway will cost uh, a maximum of £47 million. Uh, the um, Lamar de Cartre Primary School redevelopment um, will cost anything between about 13 and 22 million. That's a, a, a big range. The reason for that is because uh, it still needs to be established based on a wider review of the primary sector, whether it should be a two-form entry or a three-form entry school. And obviously that makes quite a big difference to the size and the cost. And also we need to carry out a review of swimming provision in primary schools. Um, and so it may be that there is a swimming pool uh, at that school or it may not be. And um, that is worth you know, to the value of several million pounds. Mm. So that, that's why there is a range. The overall programme, which also includes some transition costs to ensure that students' education doesn't suffer during the transition period um, and uh, investment in digital services, which are inadequate in, in, in education at the moment. The, the, the total package uh, costs just upwards of 150 million. And that investment is going to happen over a period of four, five, six years, um, depending on the speed at which we can, we can carry out the further and higher education and primary uh, sector redevelopments. Well, the, the beam moves to try and delay the introduction of the new system, a number of possible Cersei by uh, deputies um, Mirvelt and Dudley Owen. How do you feel about this? Yeah, the, 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 there are now, um, uh, I think, two Cersei and one amendment submitted um, uh, but between them by deputies um, Dudley Owen and Mirvelt. Um, a Cersei is completely unnecessary. I mean, the states, as I have just said, the states have been debating uh, this for three and a half years now. I think that there there is already a great deal of criticism, justifiably so, that it has taken the states this length of time to reach any um, conclusions and start putting into effect uh, the changes. And the, and the Cersei submitted don't take the argument forward at all. I mean, they, 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 they simply say we should defer debate now, revisit it at a later date. And in the meantime, there should be uh, more analysis of a whole range of different ways of organising secondary education, which have already been analysed in quite some depth, uh, not just by our committee, although we have done that and, and released uh, information about that last week, but by previous committees as well. So the states are in receipt of all the information they need to reach uh, an informed, objective view. Um, I, I, the amendment that has been submitted um, is uh, essentially seeking to, to achieve the same thing as a Cersei, which is to defer the debate and revisit all sorts of other models of education. But the, overwhelmingly, 18 months ago, the states backed the model of education which we are now uh, leading the implementation of. This is a debate about uh, the sites to use, the size of the schools, uh, the range of facilities, how much we're prepared to invest in the capital infrastructure, the the, the policy around the model of education, um, one school on two, uh, in two 11 to 18 colleges, 
and again the Institute for Further and Higher Education was determined by the states 18 months ago. So do you think it's just an attempt to overturn it and kick it into the long grass so there's an election and a new committee could perhaps overturn the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I'm always a bit reluctant to try and second guess what lies behind other uh, members' um, arguments and and, uh, proposals. I mean, in a way, I think that's slightly unfair. You know, one has to accept that they uh, are doing what they think is right uh, and they have a right to put their proposals to the states next week. But it it does look like um, it's an attempt to drag out the decision um, so that it can be considered by a new assembly. I, I clearly there is some um, anxiety about our model. There always is when there is significant change in education. R- rightly, it's an area of policy that matters to people. Uh, but I think that that, that, that perhaps that the, those couple of deputies are picking up on some of that anxiety. Um, and seeing themselves as representing the the broad mass of public opinion. I actually suspect if the states next week can't reach any decisions and do kick it into the long grass, um, that there will be uh, an an outburst of um, uh, not just anxiety, but, you know, real public anger uh, that... Uh, this matter, which has been under debate for so many years and where for which it's so important that we establish certainty um, a, as soon as possible, you know, still is going to carry on. There'll be further debates either in the autumn or in, in one of the Circe, I think, not until the month before the next election. Um, and I, I don't think there is any public appetite for that. There is clearly there are differences of opinion about how secondary education should be organised um, publicly and in the States. And it's never going to be possible on an issue as contentious as this for any committee to propose something which everybody agrees with. I mean, there, there are many difference, uh, differences of opinion about the current secondary education system or the system that has been in place uh, in recent years. So you're not going to get unanimity, um, but the states have debated this for a very long time, did reach a, a clear policy decision 18 months ago. And my sense is that there is going to be less appetite than perhaps one or two deputies imagine to revisit everything, go right back to the beginning. And I think if the states do that, uh, there will be more um, public anger than, than perhaps a few of my colleagues appreciate. Well, Deputy Meerveld's claims there are serious discrepancies in the side-by-side analysis of the different models given by your committee and uh, include facilities not included in the initial policy letter. Um, he's also spoken about there being overcrowding, a reduction of over 80% in the size of sports fields, library space halved, um, school horse space down 40%. Uh, how do you respond to that? Yeah, okay, that's two separate issues. Um, first of all, um, in relation to the information on the different models, this is principally financial information about the cost, the capital cost and the annual running cost of different models. Um, this was produced by officers and not by the committee. The committee has had no involvement in the production of those figures, deliberately so, because uh, we knew that if we were involved, um, Deputy Meerveld in particular would say the figures can't be believed. So we didn't involve ourselves and, and um, that work has been done through exchanges between Deputy Meerveld and Deputy Dudley and, and officers. I was uh, have been sent the information, like all other um, states members, 
Um, and it, it, it appears to me to be a fairly clear um, and objective and impartial analysis of the costs. I think what Deputy Mirveld is getting at is that if you take out um, some facilities and, and don't provide them, um, he's saying in the three score model, uh, but you, you, that could apply to any of the models, then the costs would come down. Well, of course, that's true. I mean, we, we are proposing, for example, improvements in sports facilities at the sites of the two colleges. Um, if we didn't propose that, then the costs would be lower. So I don't think it's a revelation that uh, if you deliver fewer facilities, if you deliver fewer educational benefits, the costs are lower. I don't think there's going to be any appetite in the States to go down that road. Um, but it, it, Deputy Mirveld is free to propose any model to the States that he wants to propose. Uh, but uh, what our officers have done is to say, if you deliver uh, the if, if you've got you know, br broadly the ambition is is to deliver uh, this set of facilities and these educational benefits this is how much it costs in the various ways of arranging the system and that shows that uh, the three score model is much more expensive than the model that, that the states voted for last year and which we are developing and uh, in terms of annual running costs, our model is less expensive than all of the other potential models. But also it delivers the greatest educational benefits. And this has, from the beginning, this has been about trying to um, marry educational benefits with financial efficiency. Um, it, we There is no point in tr developing a model which the states are not prepared to live with because they consider it too expensive to run annually. To some extent, that's where it, previous education committees have been for some time and haven't been able to get their proposals through the states as a result. Um, the, uh, the the other point that Deputy Mirveld made, uh, has made uh, in relation to space standards that we're proposing um, is the result of a misunderstanding of his. Because uh, what he has done is um, he, he's produced a, 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 an analysis uh, based on how much land there is per student. And he said the average, uh, the, the, the land per student at the moment across the four schools is greater than it will be in the 211 to 18 colleges. Well, of course, that's true. And that's partly why the states voted for our model, because at the moment we have a great deal of space in our schools, which is underutilised. Um, some of it is, is outdoor space and some of it is indoor space. And Deputy Mirveld's criticism on this point implies that uh, the, the the total amount of space available on school sites is the key factor which determines educational outcomes. Uh, and that is just simply a misunderstanding. He, he doesn't pay any regard to the quality of those facilities or how um, efficiently they are used, how frequently they are used, uh, how the space is distributed between the schools. So at the moment, we have some secondary schools with great facilities but on smaller sites than we have schools with very poor facilities on larger sites. So that's just not an efficient way of running education. So we have to make the space that we have work as hard as we can, which brings down the running costs and allows us to invest more of what we have available in what really matters, 
around teaching subject and extracurricular opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's what our model does. By not wasting money on unnecessary space, we have more money available to invest in the things that matter in education. So less space, but better utilised. Yes. Now, there have been calls for your resignation, including a petition with hundreds of signatures. Um, This is over the recruitment process of a head of curriculum and standards and the resignation of HR manager Amanda Singleton. Firstly, why have you refused to do so? And also, do you support Scrutiny's management committee's call for a tribunal of inquiry? Yeah, so this is not in any way to denigrate the efforts of the people who have organised or signed the petition, because I entirely respect their right to do that. We live in a democracy, uh, and they, they, you know, they have a right to express their views in in that in that way. However, I don't think that uh, j- j- because um, a few hundred people have signed a petition, uh, that that um, automatically means that the uh, the, the requests behind their petition, um, uh, you know, c- come to fruition. And we live in an island of sixty five thousand people. The electorate. Uh, alone is what around 25,000 people. Um, uh, with respect to the people who have organised that petition, I don't think it's that difficult through social media to generate uh, you know, a few hundred um, uh, signatures or likes uh, on, a, on a, a petition of that nature. Um, if you look at, at some of um, the things which circulate on social media, you know, in relation to other, other matters like you know, animal welfare legislation, uh, or things around transport or any, you know, any area of island life, it, it's not that difficult to get uh, what may appear to be a relatively large number of people, but is actually a small percentage of the island's population um, to sign up to something. Um, and in any event, uh, you know, we live in a, in a parliamentary democracy. We had elections in 2016. Um, I was elected. I was subsequently elected to, to lead the Committee for Education, Sport and Culture, according to the mandate set out for us by the states. That's what I'm doing. There is another election in June of next year when people will be able to cast their votes and their judgments on on sitting deputies and, and on new candidates. Will you be standing again for both roles? Yeah, I, I will stand again um, as a deputy. And if I'm elected, I will stand uh, for the Presidency of Education, Sport and Culture. Partly because it's it's a, an immensely interesting and challenging role, and partly because I'm, I'm hoping that by that stage we will be well into implementing the new model of education, and so I think I have a responsibility to see that through. So you know, I I, I do respect the, the 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 rights of of people to to sign um, uh, that petition, uh, but um, as I have made clear, uh, I'm not going to resign. In relation to the appointment of the head of curriculum and standards, uh, the committee has acted with good intent and integrity throughout. We have been accused of all sorts of things which imply that we have a much greater role in managing recruitment processes than we actually have. These are civil service recruitment processes. But as I have said publicly many times, uh, the, the the starting point of this was um, that following the director of education interviews, uh, the senior officers and the committee uh, came to an agreement that every effort would be made to recruit Claire Seeley to a, a role leading um, in her area of expertise, which is curriculum and standards. Um, and my efforts subsequent to that were to tr- try to um, impress upon the civil service just how important that agreement was. 
because um, Claire is is a fantastic appointment. I mean, she is nationally recognised. Uh, people up and down the country in education would pay a great deal of money to uh, have her working with them. And it's very fortunate that, that we, we've been able to recruit her. And I'm sh- convinced that in, in the weeks and months ahead, people in education will see, uh, you know, just how valuable her work is going to be. But why did you personally support her rather than the local candidate? Well, the, the sequence of events was that... Um, after the director of education interviews, as I say, the, an agreement was reached with senior officers that every effort would be made to recruit Claire. And and so I was throughout consistently, um, you know, seeking to stick to that agreement. Now, subsequently, there, there, were, there was a process set up by the civil service to recruit to the role. And, uh, you know, w- what happened subsequently around the interview panel is, is now widely known publicly. Uh, but uh, one of the candidates withdrew. Th- that I, I was not party to any of those discussions. They they were had uh, w- with officers. Um, eventually, after the interview uh, process, um, I uh, w- went to see the chief executive some days later, uh, and I was advised that that one of the candidates had withdrawn, and uh, he had directed uh, his officers to um, offer the role to Claire because he had established um, that she was uh, the the interview panel's um, next favoured candidate, as it were. But I mean, this will all come out in uh, the inquiry, which is is very likely now to happen. And I think, you know, people will see that quite a number of the things we have been accused of doing actually had nothing at all to do with us. And certainly the the committee and and I in particular... um, I was very assertive in trying to hold to the agreement that we would bring in Claire um, for the reasons I've explained, because she is such a, a, a you know, a, a great appointment and very important to the future of education uh, locally. Um, but the committee and I acted um, with good intent and integrity throughout, and we will be able to demonstrate that if there is a tribunal of inquiry. Um I uh, I am ambivalent about the, the process that is set up to inquire or investigate. I don't think it's really proper for me to start saying this should be the process to, to, mm. for the investigation. There is a proposal going before the states for a tribunal of inquiry. I will abstain on the vote because I just don't think it's it's appropriate to express a view one way or the other. But the committee is very happy to uh, submit itself fully and unconditionally to, to any uh, process of inquiry or investigation the states want to set up. And it's thought it could cost uh, 250000 to, to run. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's that is quite a, a, a substantial cost. But there is, you know, there has been such a level of media interest and such a level of public interest in the matter that I can understand why the Scrutiny Management Committee has has reached the view that it wants to to ask the states to set up a tribunal of inquiry. I mean, I, I do think actually, if you try and look past some of the, 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 the sort of drama that has been um, uh, created around this, actually, um, the, the you, you could have inquiries into any number of um, appointments, you know, that have been made in ways which um, the public or anybody involved 
wouldn't fully understand. You know, there are a range of different ways in which the states have recruited staff over the years. Um, so I, there, there has been a little bit of singling out this particular appointment, which is is obviously as as a result of of a, of a member of staff. Um, being uh, disgruntled about the process uh, and, you know, speaking to the media. Um, but nevertheless, I, you know, I, I understand the need for an inquiry or an investigation and, and, and whatever is set up, we will, uh, you know, provide all of our evidence, documents, um, et cetera, et cetera, and we're happy to do so. Now, with, with all that's been going on recently and um, must have been taking up most of your time, does that mean there's insufficient political bandwidth for the other parts of your remit, sport and culture? No, I mean, education, because it consumes the, the majority or vast majority of the committee's expenditure, um, obviously uh, um, absorbs more time um, than sport and culture. Um, but actually, we have spent quite a lot of time dealing with sport and culture. Uh, we um, are well across the full breadth of the committee's mandate. Uh, the, the issue around sport and culture is not how much time the committee has to focus on it, because it, it, it does apply its time to that. It, it's that it has always been a challenge in Guernsey where we, we generally have lower levels of public expenditure than most other jurisdictions to uh, persuade the states of the case to invest substantially in sport and culture. Um, I think we've made some progress since we've been a committee and we, we have rebalanced our budget um, slightly to invest more, for example, in PE in schools. Uh, in partnership with the Guernsey Sports Commission, which is a, a, a fantastic initiative, and, and we've committed, you know, a six-figure sum to that annually. We are in the process of developing, and relatively soon we'll publish um, a sports strategy, uh, which um, uh, is is long overdue in the island. And we are accelerating the uh, renovation project at Castle Cornet. So, you know, we, we are um, well engaged and providing leadership in, in sport and culture as well as education. Um, but like all, all of our predecessors working in this area, we wish we could do more and we wish we could increase uh, investment in sport and culture. And, and perhaps in the future, if the budget position of the states improves further, there will be an opportunity to do that. So what's the latest development around the Victoria Avenue, the new football centre, uh, Foots Lane? Is that uh, proceeding well? Well, um, it's uh, state's land, but obviously it's um, a third sector development project. So it's being run by the, the Guernsey Football Association. Uh, we have had some discussions with them. Um, uh, we, uh, as a, at a committee level, um, we would like to um, offer any support we can to them including um, if necessary in the form of um, loan alone um, it, it's it's quite difficult to um, get that through the various processes for distributing public money which the states have set up I'm quite frustrated by that I mean I think the state should be much more open to investing particularly where, where it's on the basis of a loan um, investing in sports and cultural and community facilities which are being 
operated and, and led by third sector groups, but which can benefit the whole community. Um, but we're trying, we're going to, we, you know, we are trying to work through those challenges and, and we will um, support uh, the Guernsey Football Association and indeed any sporting association um, to the maximum extent possible, because it's in everybody's interests that we have the best possible sports facilities in the island. Finally, something that's uh, close to my heart. Uh, States of Jersey and the Isle of Man government have many years funded the promotion of local languages. So would you like to see Guernsey French taught in all the island's primary schools? And what more can uh, your committee do to support Jeannisier? Well, we um, are developing a policy letter to take to the States on uh, the, the the local language. Uh, that will It will essentially consist of... Um, investing for a, a period of a few years um, to try to encourage and enable those people who are interested in the language to you know do more work in this area try to promote it now if that's successful uh, then great you know that it, it, it could it can it can be uh, it could be run in the future on a, along similar lines to um, the sports commission or the arts commission or the youth commission uh, possibly but I think first of all during that period of initial investment we have to test what the appetite is for um, for speakers of the local language. Uh, so personally, you know, I, I would love to see it um, promoted to the fullest extent possible. And I'd love to see more uh, people speaking the language, uh, e even if only a few words and not fluently. Um, but we don't really know what the appetite is amongst the, the, the population um, to uh, to do that. And we, we hope to test that over the next few years in this, this phase of, of investment. And we hope the states will back us when we come back with those proposals later in the year. Um, I think that the main obligation that government has is to... Um, ensure that the the language is properly recorded and documented so that it's it's not lost to history um and that is a project that has been going on um consuming quite a lot of time mm, Martin, through yeah. Guernsey museums mm. and through Jan's work um and that that that's very important um but it you know it really is it, it it's up to the people who have an enthusiasm to make it uh, a live language, mm. um, to uh, you know, to to get behind it, um, and try to promote it. But we recognise that they they do need some some initial funding, and so we hope the states will back us in that um, later this year. Deputy Matt Fallows, President of Education, Sport and Culture. Thanks very much for joining us for this first podcast. Thanks, Richard. You've been listening to the In Depth Podcast by Island FM.